0: from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest addition of the BMP 1000 model, and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984 and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage at PeteEvans.com to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Dr. Jack Wolfson graduated from the University of Illinois and then spent four years at the Chicago College of Osteopathic Medicine, where he earned his Doctor of Osteopathic degree. He then did a three-year internal medicine residency, followed by a three-year cardiology fellowship at Lutheran General Hospital in Park Ridge, Illinois, where he served as Chief Fellow in his final year. When he moved to Arizona, he became a partner in the largest cardiology practice in the state. Dr. Jack also is a cardiologist. who grew tired and frustrated with the dangerous pills and useless surgeries in mainstream medicine. After meeting his wife, Dr. Heather, his eyes were open to what real health means. Now he teaches that a healthy lifestyle and organic foods are the path to wellness and a disease-free life. To find out more about Dr. Jack, please visit his website, thedoctorswolfson.com. That's T-H-E-D-R-S-W-O-L-F-S-O-N.com. Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you, brother?
1: I'm absolutely fantastic. Pete, pleasure to talk to you and uh, got a lot to discuss. We got a lot in common, and uh, I think we're going to have a good time, and the audience is going
0: to love this one. Let's start off with what type of doctor are you?
1: I'm a cardiologist. I'm a board certified cardiologist in the U.S. So I spent four years in medical school, three years in internal medicine training, three years in cardiology. So I finished everything when I was 31. I became a cardiologist just like my father. And then I spent 10 years in the biggest group in the, in the state of Arizona. So there were 40 doctors by the time I left in 2012. And along that way, back in 2005, I met the woman who would become my wife. She is a doctor of chiropractic, DC, as she says, DC doctor of cause. And she said a lot of different things to me. She's like, the pharmaceuticals are killing people. Your surgeries are worthless. Your entire profession is a sham. And he said all this stuff on our first date. And I, I fell in love for, for many different reasons. But first and foremost, what she said was true because I had sickness around me as a hospital-based cardiologist. And then, of course, I saw sickness in my own family. I saw my father dying of a neurologic Parkinson's. So when she said all this, it just made perfect sense. And if you've ever seen pictures of my wife, she's smoking hot. And the whole thing just clicked.
0: So what did you think after all of those years of study, training, working on the job and your future wife said that to you, were you skeptical? Were you like, Hey, 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 stay in your lane.
1: (laughs) This is, this is me. I can understand why people would ask that question and why most of my colleagues again would run away from someone like that. And you've met people like that in your travels as well. I mean, just all the doubters, all the naysayers, they don't want to hear anything different than what they already know, and they want to stay in, in their lane. And I think I was ripe for the opportunity, again, because I saw the sickness in my father. And eventually, my father gets diagnosed at the Mayo Clinic, which is the most prestigious hospital system in the United States. And the Mayo Clinic says, we have no idea why your father's sick. And we have no treatment for him. And then here comes this twenty, you know, eight-year-old chiropractor, and she's got all the reasons why my father is sick. She's like, Your father eats like crap. He doesn't get sunshine. He doesn't get sleep. He's around chemicals all day long. He, he drinks too much alcohol. All the you know, he's around radiation as a hospital-based cardiologist. And my wife, you know, and so she said, She's like, if you want to be like your father, stay on the same path. And if you want to become something different, then let me tell you how to do it. But you know, there's a famous line that I quote in my book, and it's, it's by another book, an author, Upton Sinclair. The book's called The Jungle about the Chicago stockyards. You're probably familiar with this. And the meatpacking industry in the early 1900s and the filth and, and the disgust of what that was. And the line is, it's hard to get a man to understand something when his job depends on him not understanding it. The cardiologists don't want to hear this message. And that extrapolates into, into so many other questions around the world that people's jobs depend on them thinking one certain way, and they will lose their job if they think differently.
0: So what do you do now as far as a career or profession?
1: Well, I'm, a, I'm still a cardiologist. In 2012, I left that big practice. I started my own cardiology practice, Wolfson Integrative Cardiology, where people from all over the world, I've had patients from, from Australia. I've had patients from Norway, Russia, usually colder climates where people don't get enough sunshine. They're usually the people that wind up with heart disease. And one of my biggest pain points I see people for is a condition called atrial fibrillation, and with atrial fibrillation, again, you know, people from all over the world seek my advice. I do a lot of online work as well, a lot of Skype consultations, Zoom consults and whatnot, writing, public speaking, and really just trying to bring the truth to the world is, is my passion to save the world for, for my wife, for my children, and everybody else's children,
0: I've had cardiologists on this program before, and one of them is Dr. William Davis, another one from the UK is Dr. Asim Malhotra. And I would view them as my friends now. And if anyone has ever got a question for me about cardiology, about the heart, I, I, I send them an email and they respond within 24 hours, which, which I'm always so blessed that I have people on speed dial for the people that need it. Now, these two gentlemen like yourself have stepped out of the system but still operate in the system. How is the system going to change? And will it, will it evolve or is it people like yourself and these others that will just pave the way for a, a new evolution or a new system emerging at the same time outside of it?
1: Yeah, I definitely think that the change is definitely going on right now. And, you know, for example, I've got a chapter in here, this textbook. This is on integrative cardiovascular medicine written by Dr. Mark Houston. And this is this is a medical textbook that was just published. And Mark called me up and he said, I want you to write a few chapters of the book for me. And I said, "I've I've got the bandwidth for one chapter i've got a you know busy life busy practice busy family and stuff like that i said give me the chapter on paleo nutrition and heart disease so i write the chapter and i've got 187 references from the medical literature on this particular topic so again as we start to get this information out there as books like this become a little more mainstream in our cardiology. Now, don't get me wrong. There is still a lot we're up against. We are up against a trillion dollar industry, which is the pharmaceuticals. So those of us that are talking about all these different ways to really stay healthy and heart healthy, we have a lot going against us from the statins to the aspirin to the blood pressure drugs and so on and so forth. So there's more of us coming out. I would hope it'd be faster. I know some other people in the space I always want to continue to see patients. I, I don't think Dr. Doctor Davis sees patients. Dr. Malhotra, I believe, still does in the UK. But, you know, me personally, I get a lot, you know, again, I don't know much about those gentlemen, you know, in particular. And I think you'll agree with this too, Pete, that so much of us continue to debate the food story. We're all like, what's the best thing? diet and you know, should we go paleo, should we go keto, should we go vegan, vegetarian, Mediterranean, carnivore, should we go all these different things? And we forget about all the other facets of the healthy lifestyle that may be even more important than the food we put in our mouth. And that's something that really, you know, we really gravitate towards as well. I mean, like, you know, in case you care, you know, what you don't, you know, this sweatshirt is organic. I'm wearing organic cotton underwear. We take this lifestyle very, very seriously for ourselves, for our family. And that's how we're going to change the world. And we're going to do it. I'm very confident.
0: Mm, I love that. And that's one of the the things that I love about a podcast like this is that we get these these different views. And when I first started on this, it was all about the food. And then over the years and through my own experience, it really is about our emotional well-being, our belief patterns. It's the environment, like you said, what we wear and how we connect to nature. And you popped onto my radar a few years ago because I heard you were a proponent and a campaigner for a paleolithic or ancestral lifestyle. So how did that come about for you? And were you following a different dietary approach before that or just a standard American or tell me about that?
1: Well, I think, as you know (laughs) very well, that the medical doctors know nothing about nutrition. We do not get any training in nutrition, residency, fellowship, all those 10 years that I studied, all we talked about was the pharmaceuticals, the surgeries, the procedures. And when I was a child, I was always interested in exercising, and this was kind of like in the in the mid to late 1970s, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, was a poster boy of what we all wanted to look like, and we're in in the gym, and we're building muscle and stuff like that, and uh, even then, you know, it was, it was still kind of, was like creeping in about this low-fat, you know, type of dieting, and my father is a cardiologist. He understood low-fat, but he never really pushed it on the rest of us. I grew up in Chicago, deep dish pizza, Italian beef sandwiches, hot dogs, all that kind of stuff, so fast forward to, a, I'm a cardiology fellow, and I see a debate at the American College of Cardiology meetings between the late Robert Atkins of the Atkins diet and Dean Ornish, who's a medical doctor of low fat fame. And I saw these guys argue for 45 minutes, and they absolutely hated each other, you you could just tell, like, the venom was just spewing from, from these two different ideologies. But I walked out of there after listening to Atkins, and it made absolutely perfect, perfect sense. And after that, you know, unfortunately, the, the addiction is so strong. I'm still single in Chicago, and just alcohol, the ethnic foods, just a lot of unhealthy stuff. And uh, one thing I would criticize about Atkins now looking at it, of course, is that he was just about shoving any kind of fat you can find in your face. I mean, he would be like, well, you know, take a big tub of Crisco and shove it in or, you know, take a bottle of soybean oil and dump it in. Like, you know, I mean, we know that we can do look carb much, much better than what he was talking about. And I think you would agree with our philosophy right now. And then ultimately, after I met my wife, now it's a matter of, what are the best ways to live? What is the the best diet and the best plan? And that's when I came across books like A Neanderthal by Ray Audet, A Paleo Diet, of course, by Lauren Cordain. But then also at the same time, the ultimate thing for me was Weston A. Price and reading his book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And what he said in that book and the evidence and what he found, and then just applying the common sense, right? It's just like, Everybody likes to argue about the best diet. Do we have to tell a lion what to eat, a tiger what to eat, the cow, the, the, the goat? It's only the human that likes to argue about all this stuff, <laughs> and we can't figure it out. But if you talk to any other animal species, they know exactly what to eat. For us, for some reason, it's confusing.
0: Uh, I love it. I was surfing last week, actually, in a in the most beautiful location, and... I was sitting there waiting for the waves and this beautiful big seabird, like an albatross, was circling above us. And all of a sudden, you just see it swoop down like phew, straight into the into the water. And it was down there for about 10 or 15 seconds. And as it pops up, it's got this beautiful big sardine or some sort of fish in its beak. And I was like, how beautiful is nature? Something's eating something all the time. Can somebody say that it's brutal or not natural it keeps appearing to me over and over again that this cycle of life is questioned by our species the human beings that it's improper or not natural to eat another animal where if you look around nature it's happening i would say in a much more brutal way than human beings. And, I'm not, and there are certain practices that human beings do with animals that I think is is fucking disgusting, like horrible, caged farming and so on and, and some of the practices. But why do you think we have this disconnect to human beings eating animals? What do you think that is about? And because it's something that keeps popping up for me. People keep saying, you know, you're, you're not enlightened yet. You're not spiritually awake if you continue to eat animals. And I asked someone the other day, I said, would you sit down with an indigenous tribe or an indigenous person from anywhere around the world that is a hunter-gatherer and sit opposite them and say, when are you going to spiritually awaken? <laughs> when are you going to become enlightened like me? and maybe these people are correct maybe they're not you know i don't have the answer but i'd like to understand your philosophy on this why there is such a what i believe is perhaps a disconnect from our ability and our evolutionary history of why we eat animals well
1: first of all first of all I do want to show you this picture. I'm no chef, my friend, but that picture right there, that is, that is grilled sardines mm-hmm. in bacon grease, which <laughs> is probably, probably my favorite dish in the entire world. And I would challenge anyone who's listening to this, name me one food healthier than that. Mm. You can't tell me kale. You can't tell me broccoli, dandelion greens, nuts and seeds, avocados, coconuts. You can't tell me anything is healthier than eating a whole sardine, you know, a whole anchovy, those kind of foods. And I think what we're talking about here is, quite simply, what is the healthiest and the most natural foods for homo sapien consumption and this is these are the foods we've been eating for millions of years and everything that was not part of that for the last two three million years frankly is food we should not be consuming now is it immediately harmful in a lot of cases no in some cases it is obviously we know people who eat gluten and stuff like that obviously they have extreme sensitivity and variations thereof you know as far as the diet so i i think that's the philosophical debate or the ethical debate obviously is something different from the health debate it really is two separate arguments and obviously we can we can talk about both of them and we can we can certainly defend our side but what i would say is that right from the get go we don't know where our food comes from not many of us are farmers anymore certainly not you know like it's very rare to find the hunter these days So people have no idea where their food comes. So it's very easy to be judgmental about other people and say, well, you know, you should be eating this, you shouldn't be eating that. When, again, when you talk to those tribes that you're speaking of, they wouldn't even understand the question. It's just, again they are you know true with nature and they and they respect the animal more so than anybody else they respect the plants the vegetables more so than any vegan on planet earth and again there's so many fallacies with the vegan and the vegetarian argument from that standpoint i think you know once again i don't like to eat an animal that's been killed I think fundamentally, I wouldn't like to eat a plant. I mean, you know, you plant something in the garden, and we've got big gardens in the backyard, and there is something to be said. I'm not going to conflate the two and conflict the two, but there's something to be said about when you pull that beet, when you pull the carrot out of the ground, when you finally do that harvest, you have taken that life as well. So, I have been around animals. I have seen animals killed. I've never raised an animal that I've killed, some, that, that I'm going to kill. I think it's something that I personally will need to do at some point in order to have that experience, in order to be really true to my path and the way that I'm living. But you know, I think ultimately, once again, we're talking about what best nutrition for a human, and it is free-range, grass-fed meats, including the organs, nose to tail. Wild seafood, and then eggs, nuts, seeds, and avocados, coconuts, olives, tons of vegetables, and then, you know, fruit in season. That's just the way we've done it for millions of years.
0: Mm. Thank you for for sharing that. I'd love to understand, over all your career of being a cardiologist, what have you had to perhaps unlearn or re or discover that? perhaps wasn't taught to you in your training. And how do you navigate your patients that perhaps do not want to listen to what you're telling them,
1: <laughs> if that is accurate? Well, back in the mid-1990s, there was a lot of excitement about the Human Genome Project And the Human Genome Project was, again, the study of the genome, all of our DNA codes for different proteins, 25,000, 30,000 different proteins, and what does all the DNA mean? And then once we learn all that, now we've got all the answers. That's what the medical foundation really was in the mid-1990s, and certainly very pharmaceutical driven at that time, research into, again, what's going on with the genetics, and then how do we influence the genetics. But what we learned from the Human Genome Project is that it's not the DNA at all. It's not the DNA. And in fact, I will say that our DNA is perfect until we screw it up with man-made toxins, and that is what's called the concept of epigenetics, how the world impacts the human genes. We've evolved on this planet for hundreds of millions of years. I mean, we share certain proteins with the tiniest bacteria and prokaryotic cells. I mean, like we've got lineage that is probably 700 million years old. So after 700 million years of evolution, nature didn't screw anything up. It did. We are built perfectly until the environment screws it up. And one of my favorite analogies of telling people, you know, when I speak or, or even to patients, I pull up this picture that's closer to you than it is to me right now, and is the picture of Tom Hanks on the island in the movie Castaway. And Tom Hanks is on the island after he gets into a plane crash working for FedEx. And on the island, all he does is go to sleep with the sun down, awake before the sunrise, spends the day in and out of the sun. And now if we were on the island, if we washed up like that, we'd be naked. For those of us that don't want to see Tom Hanks naked, they put a loincloth on him, which I'm I'm grateful for. But then in and out of the sun all day long and he's eating avocados and coconuts and he's and he's spear fishing and there's no pollution, there's no electromagnetic fields, there's no 5G, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no injected poisons and in pharmaceuticals. There's none of that. The only thing he suffers from is social isolation, which is what's going on right now in the face of lockdowns and coronavirus and stuff like that so catastrophic to so many people that are now in social isolation because that markedly lowers your life expectancy. The ultimate point I'm trying to make here, Pete, is that if any of us were born onto that island and lived like that, I'm very confident we live until we're 130, 140, whatever the number for me. We're just not going to die unless there's trauma. That's it. So, so we tell people, hey, try and try and find your island. And I've had patients that have been able to move to that island, or they did, you know, relocate to the island of Hawaii. So again, trying to get people to find that island, I think, is paramount to overall health.
0: My family and I have been using beautiful, high-quality essential oils for the last twenty years to live healthily every single day. Now, if you're passionate about health and are ready to step into leadership, I want to invite you to partner with my team and I. To build a beautifully successful doTERRA business. Register at Pete HLC.com backslash Pete. That's Pete HLC, which stands for the Healthy Living Collective, dot com backslash Pete.
1: I met my wife and my wife is unvaccinated. our, our three children are unvaccinated. My wife's siblings are unvaccinated. And obviously, since then, we know a ton of people who are unvaccinated, and clearly, the healthiest of the bunch is not even close. It's not even close. And when I met my wife, and she told me that, I kind of took a little pause. But I was never like a rabid, you know, pro-vaxer. My parents weren't like, you know, hey, time to get your flu shot, and you know, make sure you get your booster for MMR. You know, what? they took me to the pediatrician, they loaded me up on on poison, and I went on my on my way. So I never really thought you know, much of it, unfortunately, because again, I was just a sheep in the system. You know, I was, I was Neo living in the matrix. And if you don't really ask any questions, but very quickly, you know, my Morpheus came to me to use this analogy of the movie, and that, of course, was my wife. And she starts whispering all these, these different things, and then she talks about vaccines, and she's like, "Well, listen, you know, go read up on it. You know, you love to read the science." So I start looking for science about the safety of vaccines, and it turns out there is none. And then I start looking about all the dangers of vaccines, and it turns out there is a ton of literature about that. And then you start meeting other parents of vaccine injured children. And you quickly realize, wow, there's something going on here. And these are the same parents that went to the pediatrician with a vaccine injury, and they said, no, it can't be the vaccine. And the parent's like, what are you talking about? My child was normal one day, and then they get a round of vaccines, and the next day, they're different. They're not speaking. They're wetting the bed. They're having seizures, high fevers. They have an autoimmune condition. Like, I mean, you're you're a parent. I mean, like that's that's really insulting to another parent to say, well, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. There's no science that says that, you know, vaccines are are safe and effective. End of story. So unfortunately, we're we're up against a monumental enemy. And again, it is the pharmaceutical company, pharmaceutical companies. And then you've got their minions that are all politicians. And then you get got the, all the people that work for the Department of Health, you know, on a federal level, on a state level, on a community level. And now you've got just tens of thousands of people making health care decisions for people like you and I, you know, when they're going out and eating fast food and you're spearfishing, I you mean, know, Dorado and stuff like that, and healthy, healthy fish, mahi-mahi, all these great things, like, and, and we're the ones that are going to spread disease So anyways, we started lecturing on it. I started getting into trouble about it. I wound up on CNN debating this, uh, you know, Doc Hollywood with Aaron Burnett. And it just goes to show you mainstream media just railroaded right from the beginning, telling some sob story about some uh, child with cancer, which is unfortunate. The child has cancer. But let's talk about why the child has cancer. Let's go down that road as opposed to, well, you need to vaccinate all your children to protect the kid with cancer. Now, that's not going to help that kid with cancer. Help kids with cancer, again, is to determine the cause of why they have it and make sure nobody gets it again. And it's all from human uh, man-made poisons. So that little foray on CNN got me 38 complaints to the Arizona Medical Board. I had to hire a very high-powered First Amendment attorney to defend my freedom of speech. Whenever you step outside of their comfort zone of of their agenda, you're going to get slapped and I've been slapped up many times, but I'm still standing, I'm still talking and uh, always will.
0: Are you happy to step into the lion's den?
1: (laughs) The answer is yes. But now that being said, initially you mentioned, you know, mindfulness and mental wellness and keeping stress levels low is so important. Chapter five of my book is called One Nation Under Prozac, how everybody's on Prozac and it's clearly not the answer. And how all you know, anger, stress, depression, anxiety, all of these markedly increase your risk of cardiovascular disease. And that's where I say these things may be even more important than food, because the food data is actually very weak compared to the mental health data, the environmental toxin data, the air pollution data, the sunshine, the sleep data. So me bringing all of this additional stress onto myself probably is not good. But again, if doctors like like me, if people like you, if we don't shout it from the rooftops, if we don't use our megaphone, well, then the government, Gestapo, you know, comes in and they will continue to make their laws and they will continue to make their agendas based on whatever suits their agenda. I mean, you have to think, right, that... If the government of the United States had their way in 1975, after all the influence from Ansel Keys and George McGovern and the government's food pyramid, well, I guess they could have easily said, you know what, eating meat is outlawed unless you get it in a fast food restaurant and the only thing you're allowed to eat are quaker oats nabisco cereals you know and pop tarts i mean like if you know when you put these people in charge and making the decisions that are solely based on the corporate interests we're in trouble so i fight for that every single day on all my platforms and i i certainly appreciate you allowing me to be on your platform to be able to share this message so thank you again
0: Mm. No, I'm I'm very happy to have you on here, brother. And it's the perfect time. So let's talk about what's happening right now, then. So it's 2020. We're in June. We're in a very interesting place in time. We have a, a lockdown happening. Some countries are relaxing their laws. Some states in your country are relaxing their laws, I think. Why is there so many conflicting messages, do you think? Like from science, one day it's like you should be wearing a mask the next month. It's you shouldn't be wearing a mask. The World Health Organization yesterday announced we should be wearing a mask and social distancing is good. Social distancing, we don't have to worry about that anymore. If you were just sitting here watching all of this, which most people are, you'd be fucking confused. <laughs> like who's, who's driving this bus? Because it seems really, really like no one's in charge maybe. I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on this? And what are your medical professionals that are open to speak about. What do they think?
1: Well, I think that, I think first and foremost, to answer
0: your question, no one's in charge.
1: It's absolutely embarrassing what the worldwide leadership has done on one way or the other. At least you're right. It's, you know, be consistent with the message. I think the problem is, is that they just have no idea what they're doing. There's too many chefs in the kitchen, if you will. Everybody's trying to have their input as to what's going on and the us have their agenda the chinese have their agenda other countries have their agenda and it's the public that's sitting there and everybody's just glued you know to their technology they're glued to the television set and and just you know waiting on on every single word of what's being said and all it does is just generates more fear it generates more anxiety more depression more anger all of these things that markedly increase Cardiac risk. So when we look at the data in in years to come, we will undoubtedly, if science is true, to, to do true research, we will see the ramifications of what's happened, again, with social isolation, how you have everybody locked up. And some people are, they're older, they're alone, they're by themselves. It is a real serious problem. Humans are gregarious People, we we are extroverts. The majority of us are designed to be extroverts because that's the only way you would have lived and survived in, in a society is to have that evolutionary genetic makeup to be an extrovert. And now when you lock us up in our cages and you don't let us get outside and soak up the sunshine, which is again one of the most important things you can do for your health, smart sunshine, and then you keep us glued to the television set. And now we're not sleeping, so our sleep is disrupted. All these things, again, just invite a virus to come in and just annihilate us, is is what it does. And if the governments around the world, my approach, if I was in charge, would have been, the key is always to make yourself bulletproof. Because there are, literally, there are hundreds of trillions of viruses in our body. There are so many different varieties of coronaviruses and, of course, all the influenza. And every single year, it's always some new thing. They're trotting out against us. That The key is to make yourself bulletproof by good nutrition, the sleep, the sun, the mindfulness, the physical activity, avoiding toxins, good dental and oral hygiene. That's the stuff that we need to do to become bulletproof. And that's what we needed to tell the public. And that's the message that should have always been given. But that wasn't the case. The case was this virus is deadly. It's gonna kill millions of people. We gotta all stay inside. We gotta stay inside until there's a vaccine. We're gonna try these different pharmaceuticals and we're gonna shut down the worldwide economy millions of jobs will be lost. And I know your history of the, you know, being in the restaurant industry and your work there, those are millions of jobs that were just wiped out. Those small restaurants, a lot of them will be gone forever. Now, places like Cheesecake Factory and some of the big places, they got their bailouts. They're, you know, like this with the bankers. They got their money. They're going to survive. But the mom and pop's, The people that make really good food in this world, they're gone, and so are all their employees. Now, some of them will come back, but again, a lot of them will not. And let me say this finally on this subject, Pete, is that people who are unemployed have a 500% higher risk of committing suicide. So I mean, so that makes sense, right? I mean, so if you're, if you're not making money, if you can't pay the bills, if you can't support the family, people commit suicide, 500% more likely. But also if you're unemployed, you have a 280% higher risk of dying of cardiovascular disease. Those are real, real numbers, how unemployment leads to being dead from cardiac disease. And finally, I'll say that if there is global recession, And at this point in time during our conversation, it looks like we're coming out of the woods a little bit as things open up, but time will tell here. The UN, the United Nations estimates in a global recession, an extra like three, four, 500,000 children will die because of the recession and the effects of a recession as well. And that obviously relates to Food, then, of course, you can lead to child abuse, spousal abuse, child neglect when there's a global recession. So what they did to shut down the economy, to supposedly save the hospitals from being overrun, they way, way, way overshot the mark. Right from the beginning, it should have been, live life as normal unless you are elderly, unless you're immunocompromised, and if you're that person, you may want to stay at home and you may want to lock yourself in, but don't lock the rest of us in. That was a monumental error at the worst, or, or at best, calculatedly done at the, at the worst.
0: I'm a little speechless. I was interviewed by 60 Minutes, our version of 60 Minutes in Australia last week, and it goes to air tonight, actually. And the question that I asked the reporter it was a few things actually. We spoke about Bill Gates. We spoke about vaccines. We spoke about the pandemic. We spoke about the immune system and the experts. And I said to her, prior to the interview, I said, "Why are not our health ministers and the people that we trust for our messaging? Why are they not talking about how to maintain a, a strong, robust immune system that that functions well?" And she responded that it's common sense. Everybody knows how to look after their immune system. I said have you looked outside? (laughs) Have you seen the population? Have you seen the health, the health issues that we are having in Western countries at the moment? Do you think those people have a functioning, beautiful immune system at the moment? Do you think that they don't suffer from inflammation? I said, if it was common sense, I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't seem that way. And when we actually did the interview two days later, she apologized and said, "You know what? You were right. It's not common sense.
1: It used to be common sense. Yeah, it used to be to the tribes person you're talking about. That tribes person again. they that person is bulletproof. That person will survive. They'll survive bacteria. They'll they'll survive it. That's how that's how they were built. But uh, it's all yeah. It's all the vaccine agenda and the vaccine vaccinationists." And you know this as well as I do, Pete. There's not gonna be any safety data that's done. There's gonna be no placebo control trials. They're gonna trot this thing out. They're gonna make it mandatory to walk out your door. And the Gates Foundation, and he's already said that, Gates, Rockefeller, Gabby, all these different, you know, governing bodies, that's all they wanna do is make it so it's a you know mandatory universal vaccine and is it a sinister agenda? Is it truly altruistic to save the world? You know, again, there's a lot of different theories about all of that. And I think what everybody needs to know is that all options are open. Like, believe anything is possible. The history of the world is full of bad players, bad people that didn't care about you, me, our families. They didn't care about anybody except for power. And financial greed.
0: I want to finish off with, you mentioned the word science before. It seems to be coming more and more like a religion. It may be not in the traditional form, but it's like we believe in science. We believe in science. Anybody that doesn't believe in science is a nut job or a crackpot or crazy. And I mentioned to this reporter And she's considered Australia's top leading investigative journalist. I said to her, I said, you know, science has been bought before by vested interests. She said, "Uh uh-huh. I said, so how can we trust science if it can be bought? I don't think she had the answer to that. So I'd love for you to just explain what your thoughts are on science. And is there any wriggle room in this for the general person that just relies on what the experts say?
1: First of all, we always default to common sense. Again, like we don't need any scientist to tell us what to eat. We don't need any scientist to tell us that we should be out in the sun, that our skin is a solar panel. It doesn't just hold a bag of bones, it's a solar panel to catch. The electromagnetic frequencies and radiation from the sun. Our eyeballs have UVA, UVB receptors that are there and designed to collect all that sunlight and make the magic happen. You know, sleep and wake cycles, these are all critical. We know that the body is supposed to breathe air, not all these environmental pollutants and contaminants. We know we're not supposed to be full of glyphosate and atrazine, and DDT, and it's metabolite DDA. We know we're not supposed to be full of these chemicals. So again, we don't need the science there. But it just so happens that the science is there that tells us that all this stuff is absolute poison, and it causes cancer, and it causes heart disease, and it causes dementia. It's all in the scientific literature. The problem is is that the powers that be, like Anthony Fauci, And as Deborah Bricks, these guys are scientific pharmaceutical researchers. That's all they've ever done is been in the pharmaceutical research industry. They're very knowledgeable about that, but they're not knowledgeable about health and wellness. Pete Evans has more knowledge about nutrition in his fingernail than those people at the NIH combined. They just have no idea what, what they're talking about. And then you get these talking heads on social media, mainstream media, and they come up with comments like, you cannot boost your immune system. And they'll say it like all in caps. And so I did a I did a webinar actually that if anyone is interested, if I may, it's it's at the doctorswolfson.com. Forward slash immune. And on that webinar, again, it was just like here is all the scientific evidence about how food, sleep, sun, mental health and wellness, physical activity, good dental health, and then also all of these nutritional supplements that. Play a role in boosting your immune system. And it's like, okay, so I start showing slides. Well, here's all the things that say vitamin C works. Here's all the things about all the B vitamins and omega-3, you know, fish oil. And here's how how you know ingesting a medicinal silver, you know, makes a difference. So there's all these different ways to boost the immune system. And unfortunately, the American public, they're sitting there, worldwide public, and they're watching the television set, and they are beholden to the people who work for the pharmaceutical companies for their health advice. And it's just a, it's a human tragedy. It it really is. And all we can really do is keep to our methods of spreading the word and hopefully the truth will will win the day. That's all there is to it.
0: Beautiful words, my brother. I have to say, I've thoroughly enjoyed this podcast and this conversation with you. Thank you for being so open and for being so honest and, and knowledgeable and sharing your wisdom with us all. Just want to tell you, I love you, mate. And I look forward to round two <laughs> down the track because I feel like we've got a, a, a lot more to talk about, especially in the in the world of cardiology and heart disease. I'd love to invite you back down the track if that's okay.
1: Anytime. We'd love to. And I appreciate all the work you're doing and uh, keep on fighting the good fight.
0: Fantastic. We'll cook up a meal next time I'm over in the States too. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed the health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice. By a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast